Thanks for checking out the Church RC podcast today. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Now here's Pastor Crystal Sparks. Crystal Sparks, uh, me and my husband Brian, we pastor the Church Ray City here, and uh, we are so excited about what God is doing in this area, in this region, through something called the local church. And I believe that, the, you know, just that with Bernie Moore on the screen, that's what our church is impacting. And so we've got a global reach and a local reach, and we're so thankful for all that God is doing. And so today, um, I've got a message for you that I think you'll enjoy, but real quick, um, Wanted to, didn't want to forget, on December 23rd is going to be our Christmas service. It's on Friday, December 23rd. We're going to be here at the school at Ford Elementary. And Friday, that Friday night, we'll have two services, a 6 p.m. and a 7.30. And it'll be a family service. And it'll just be a real special time for us to come, come together as a church family and celebrate Christmas together, celebrate the birth of Jesus. And then that Sunday, the 25th, on Christmas Day, we won't have church. And we will not have church on January 1st because let's just be honest. You're all staying up late on New Year's Eve, drinking water, watching Dick Clark. I know what y'all are doing, playing dominoes, you know, hanging out your local elderly rec club. So we're not going to do church. You just enjoy um, being at home. Okay, amen. Um, no, but seriously, we value family here at the Church Ray City. And we think it's important for you to take time. Go be with your family. Enjoy family time. Make memories together. And we'll be back together on that second Sunday in January. I believe it's the 8th. January 8th will be our first Sunday for 2017. We'll kick it off with style. Three services going strong. And you know Brian will be on another level because you'll have several Sundays off. You'll be excited to preach. So you want to make plans for that. But just wanted to give you a heads up for that with your holiday plans. With all that said, um, this is going to be the third part in our It's Not About You series. And I'm going to be in John chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 3 through 6 in the Amplified. John chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. Mary took a pound of ointment of pure liquid nard. Nard doesn't sound like a nice word, does it? What if your perfume was still called nard? Wouldn't that just be awkward? Like, honey, please get me nard for Christmas. Sounds like lard. Um, A rare perfume that was very expensive, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii, a year's wages of ordinary workmen? And that money then given to the poor, the destitute. Verse 6. And now he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the bag, the money box, the purse of the twelve, he took for himself what was put into it. Can we just pray today as we start this message together? Jesus, I just thank you, Father, that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I thank you that every ear is open and receptive, that every heart will be softened for the seed of the word of God. Father, declare in this place that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 
Amen. Well, it's the week of Thanksgiving, and I know if you're like me, you're excited. Thanksgiving is actually one of my favorite holidays. I think the reason for that is you're not yet sick of your family yet. Amen. Um, by the time Christmas has happened, you know, you remember why you live three hours apart. Um, anybody else like me? No. Okay, I'm the only one. Um, but no, Thanksgiving, you're like actually excited to see everybody. I love Thanksgiving. To me, it's less pressure because you don't have the Christmas shopping, but you still get to see all your family, and you get to eat a lot of food. It's like the best of both worlds without the pressure of, did I get the right gift? Did I buy my aunt's size this year or her size next year? Come on. Amen. Like, do you go up a size or down a size? You're just never quite sure what size to get. So you get a gift card. And, uh, but I love Thanksgiving very much. And how many of you guys in here are interested in like your lineage and where you came from and you know, your history. Okay. There's three of us. How many of you guys love history? How many history buffs do we have? I love history. In fact, uh, my pastor always teases me that I'm the only person he knows that takes textbooks and reads them on vacation. Uh, one time, just for fun, I got an accounting textbook and read it while we were in Maui, just because what else do you read when you're on the beach, but an accounting textbook. Like I love to read textbooks for fun. And uh, one of my favorite books, I'll throw this out there for free, is The Providential History of America. And it is where God is in the history of America from the beginning to now. And it is amazing. There's a lot of stories in there that I didn't know because they don't teach you in public school how God's fingerprints are all over the founding of America. And we know that inherently, but to read the stories is really amazing. And so my great, 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 great grandfather was Miles Standish. And Miles Standish was one of the people who came over on the Mayflower. He was one of the 102 that came over and founded America. And so that is, I feel like I've always had this passion for America. And I feel like I bleed red, white, and blue. Um, And I always wondered why. And then when I realized that, I was like, well, that's why. And so Miles Standish and John Smith were the two that duked it out for Pocahontas' hand in marriage. Y'all remember that story from history? And uh, Miles Standish lost. So I'm from a long line of losers. Amen. That's the moral of the story. We're done. Thank you for coming. No, I'm just kidding. No, so um, so we know the story. You know, the whole reason why we have Thanksgiving is because they came over, and, and here they are, and they've got this dream of starting this country, and a great plague hits, and now it's cold. And Squanto was the one Indian chief that came over and helped them get everything started because his tribe was completely wiped out by this plague. He was the last one remaining. And so he taught the pilgrims how to sow corn and how to get a harvest. He taught them the whole principle of sowing and reaping and helped them do everything. Well, then the first fruits, that first harvest season, they came together and celebrated their first Thanksgiving. I think it's interesting that when you read the providential history of America, actually here Squanto is, he taught them about plants and how to reap a harvest. And the pilgrims in turn taught him about Jesus. And he converted to Christianity. And Squanto became a Christian and then shared the message of Jesus to other tribes of Indians. So it's really interesting, but I say this to say, because I think as Americans, there's something within us around this time of year that we feel like we should be generous. Would we all agree? Like there's something within us we just can't explain. There's, there's this uh, thing inside of us that we feel like we should be generous. And the reason why is because our whole country was founded on a single act of generosity. 
If Squanto wouldn't have done what he did for the pilgrims, we wouldn't be here today. Uh, This whole nation wouldn't have made it. But we are where we are because somebody was generous and somebody helped somebody else. And I think because of that, it's kind of in the fabric of our DNA. And if you would just look at world history across the globe and you look at every Christian nation that started out as a Christian nation, whether they are currently Christian or not, there's an underlying current of a need to be generous. Because really, when you think about when we're saved, when we're born again, the Bible says that we get a new father. And part of us getting that new father is we get the DNA, that that kind of a spiritual want to. We get his desires and want tos through salvation. The longer you grow in God, how many of you guys know that you change, right? Uh, You're not the same person you were 10 years ago, right? Hopefully not. If you are, then we're glad you're at the church. Amen. But we should be growing and ever-changing because the truth is the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like him. And God is generous. You know, you think about John three sixteen. God so loved that he gave. And so really the whole fabric of this message of Christianity is about generosity. It's founded upon it. So there's something within us that wants to be generous, especially in this time of year. Now, if you're taking notes today, and I hope you are because we have a saying here at the church that paper never forgets, I want you to title this message, A Tale of Two Hearts. A Tale of Two Hearts. If you're visiting here for the first time, I just want to tell you, welcome. We do not preach on generosity every single week. I can promise you that. Um, We actually do one message a year, usually on generosity, and you happen to come on the one Sunday. So congratulations that you're here. But if you're visiting here, you can look at everybody around you and know that this message is for them, not for you, okay? And so you can remove all responsibility uh, for this message. But I want to talk to you for the next few moments about something that's actually kind of hard because I think we all think that we already know how to do it. And I want to talk to you about, are you generous? Are you generous? Now, the very moment I asked that question, what flashed in your mind is the last act of generosity you did. Some of you thought about how you gave to Haiti when the hurricane hit. Some of you, right when I said, are you generous, you thought about the coworker you helped out recently. Some of the husbands, when I say, are you generous to your wife, you think about how you unloaded the dishwasher in 2014. Some of the wives, when you think, are you generous, you think about your anniversary. Amen. But I'm asking you, not do you do acts of generosity. I'm asking, are you generous? Because there's a difference in being generous and doing acts of generosity. And as a culture of a people, we've been taught that we do generosity. That's why you think of acts that you've done, or you think of opportunities that you didn't do. Because in our minds, we've been trained that uh, generosity is something we do. But in fact, scripture teaches it's something that we are. When you are generous, the fruit of that is giving to others. And here, the story that we opened up with in John chapter 12 reveals two hearts. It reveals a generous heart, and it reveals a selfish heart. And both hearts were revealed, not in the hearing of Jesus' message, but when it came time for generosity. It came time to give. And see, whenever I talk about generosity, like right now, I can feel pushback. And some of you are thinking, well, here she goes. She's just talking about money, and you've got an attitude. And I'll say that's the very attitude that Judas had when generosity got brought up. reveals your heart. Isn't it funny how money reveals our heart? 
And when we get critical and we're like, oh, she's just trying to get something from me. You know, whenever we got saved, it wasn't like Jesus looked down from heaven and said, well, all they want is salvation from me. Hello. It's quiet in this church. (laughs) But here's the thing is that whenever giving time comes, it reveals your heart. And your heart is either generous or it's selfish. There's no in between. So I want to talk to you today about some myths about generosity that we've bought into as a, as a culture and as a people. And, and I'll say this myself, because I'm not perfect. And I am on this journey right along with you. And in fact, as I wrote this message, it was painful for me. Um, as I read over Brian's notes, I was like, this hurts, babe. Oh, because I'm working on this and I haven't yet arrived. And so I'm saying this like we're both talking each other through, through this message. Is that okay? Um, can we talk to each other about being generous? The first myth that we have about generosity is that it's spontaneous. Spontaneous. In other words, it's need-driven. I'll give you an example. Have you ever heard the, seen the commercial with the dogs and the Sarah McLaughlin song, In the Arms of Angels? I remember my daughter when she was little, she'd be like, Mom, turn the channel. This is awful. I'm like, I know. But it's spontaneous. In other words, you hear about a coworker who fell on hard times, and so they start a GoFundMe account, and you give $20 because it eases your conscience because you want to do something to make it better, right? Or you hear about a hurricane that hit Haiti, and so you feel motivated to do something for the Haitian people, unknowingly that Haitian people have needed your help long before the hurricane ever happened, but the hurricane makes you feel the need. And because you feel the need, your act of giving is spontaneous. And so a lot of times in our culture, we've been taught that generosity is need-driven. In fact, a lot of times in a service like this, your attitude for generosity would be something like this. Well, we'll see what the person says that's up there doing giving and whether or not I give or not. Because it's spontaneous. I was in a service one time, and um, they actually went out. They counted the offering after they took up offering. And then they came back in, stopped the speaker on the stage, and said, no, we're going to do offering again. They said, the money that we collected from y'all, we couldn't even buy everybody a happy meal with what you just gave. And they began to shame everybody. Well, little did they know, I was doing an online contribution for $1,000. I don't say that braggadocious. God put it on my heart to give 1000 I felt like I was supposed to. And when they said that, the Lord was like, don't give it to him. No. Because a lot of times we think, and they collected an even bigger offering the second time. Because a lot of times in our American culture, we feel like we almost have to be manipulated to give. Why? Because we've been taught that giving is spontaneous. It's not just part of who we are. And I'm here to tell you it's part of who you are. Number two, the second myth we buy into is that it's determined by our cash flow. I hear people all the time, I'll give when I can afford it. How many of y'all ever heard that? How many of you have ever said that? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) I have people tell me all the time, Crystal, Pastor Crystal, when I win the lotto, the first check I'm writing is to Church Royce City. And to that I say, amen. But my question isn't when you win the lotto, is are you doing it now? Because I'll just tell you that it's just as hard to write the $1,000 check out of $10,000 as it is to write the million-dollar check out of $10 million. And if you can't write the $1,000 check, you're probably not going to be able to let go of that million-dollar check. But we've been taught in our lives that whatever is left after I pay all the bills and I buy the kids' shoes and, and I do everything else, then if I have anything else left, then I'll give to God. 
Because we've been taught that it's by our cash flow. It's if you can afford it. It's quiet in this church. Number three, we've been taught it's the amount that counts. It's the amount that counts. I have people tell me all the time, oh, Crystal, isn't this just a generous gift? Well, the truth is, the only person who judges if your gift is generous or not is God. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was up preaching a message and everybody was bringing their offerings. And a little old lady brought a widow's mite, which is worth a half of a penny. And he said, this woman gave more than anybody in this place today. Why? Because God judges the heart. It's not the amount he's after. And I think a lot of times we think to to give, to really give, it's got to be this big amount with a lot of zeros at the end. The zeros at the end of your check does not determine if it was a big gift to God. He's looking at your heart. That's what he cares about is the heart. The next thing that we've been taught is that rich people are generous. When I become rich, I'll be generous. If you missed the series last year where Brian talked about Be Rich, it was awesome. Go back into the history. How many of you were here on the Be Rich series? Where are you at? Yes, a few of you. We're all rich is what he tells us, right? Because what is rich in our mind is somebody who makes more than we do. That, that person is rich in our minds. Is anybody who makes more than we do. But that's a myth that rich people are generous. Here's the truth, and I want you to say this with me. Say, rich people are rich. Say it like you mean it. Rich people are rich. And generous people are generous. In other words, I'm generous irregardless of the amount of money I make. Or I'm stingy irregardless of the amount of money I make. Your tax return number at the top does not make you generous or not generous. Rich people are rich, but generous people are generous. Now, I think, can we just all come to the same conclusion here? That I think all of us would say that we're striving to become more generous, right? Nobody wants at your funeral cap for somebody to walk up. You wouldn't want your son to take the stage and say, man, my mom was the most stingy person you ever met. Nobody goes, man, that's my goal in life is to be the cheapest person ever and to always hold back and to never give. Nobody would say that that's their goal. Now, how many of you would say, all of us would say, it'd be really endearing for people to say they were really generous. They were really generous. So I think all of us would say that we're on this journey to become more generous. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? How do we begin to live our lives where we are generous, that we don't just do spontaneous acts of generosity? The first thing I want you to know is that we begin to live a life where we give with no strings attached. Come on. Have you ever had somebody give to you and then they hold it over your head? And they remind you of it every single day you're awake and breathing. Well, remember when I did this for you and they constantly bring it up and find little ways to make a dig? That's not a gift. That's manipulation. And honestly, the Bible calls manipulation witchcraft. So you're no better than a witch. I'll just let that sit there. That's painful. So when your mother-in-law manipulates you, just look at her and say, my pastor said you're a witch. That'll make for a fun Thanksgiving. Amen. Come back and tell me how that goes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Bad idea. Bad idea. But here's the thing is that you give with no strings attached. In other words, you do for people that you know they'll never be able to return the favor. Because a lot of times in our American culture is you do for others as they've done for you. But that's the opposite of the gospel. 
the opposite of the gospel. Jesus said, that which you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. In other words, the more I'm helping the poor and the needy and the destitute, the more Jesus is like, that's true generosity. You give with no strings attached. You know, me and Brian were student pastors before we were senior pastors. And uh, we had an amazing student ministry. And in it, we had a girl who was about to go to college, and she had been praying for a car. I mean, for over a year, she was praying for a car, believing for God to give her a car, completely paid for, believing for a car. Well, it was the week before she was due to leave, and uh, she was still praying for the car. And she actually had come down and asked us to pray for her, for her car that Sunday. And we were standing with her this whole year praying for her. And so we were eating lunch after church, as is our custom, right? You eat a good Sunday lunch after church. It's just the Southern tradition is what you do, right? And so we were eating lunch, and I looked up at Brian. I said, you know, I said, you know she's really praying for that car, and she leaves to college next week. And Brian said, yeah, I know. And I said, well, he goes, well, we just need to pray for her. And we both are eating, and God spoke to both our hearts at the same moment. Give her a car. I want you to buy her a car. And we both looked up at each other. And you know as a couple when God just spoke to you. And there's ties, offerings, and painful offerings. Come on, amen. And we knew that God called us to buy her a car. Now, I'll just tell you that I've bought many cars in my lifetime. And none of them were a spiritual or emotional event. None of them. When I bought my minivan, I was not like, oh my gosh, this is so spiritual right now. Like, Jesus, you are in this. You like crying as I pulled out of the parking lot. No, when I bought my minivan, I knew I am officially a mom and all cool has gone out the window, right? Minivans are like sweatpants. They look so wrong, but they feel so right once you get in them, right? It's kind of awkward. Like when you're in your minivan, you're rocking out. Like you forget I'm in a minivan. And then this other mom looks at you like, I will never go to that level. And you're like, girl, if you only got in, if you only got in with my sliding doors and my TV in the back, you don't even know what you're missing. But it wasn't a spiritual experience for me. None of the cars. But when we went to buy that car for her, It was such a spiritual experience to be the answer to somebody's prayers. I will never forget her face when she came out and saw that car. Never. It was amazing. And that's the kind of life that God's called us to live. There's such a reward in living a generous life. There's such a reward in in being a part of that with no strings attached. The next thing I want to tell you is that true generosity has a plan. True generosity has a plan. Now, truth be told, you have a plan right now. Whether you know it or not, you have a plan. You could take your finances to a financial advisor, and they would tell you your plan. In fact, most Americans have this plan. Spend everything you make and go into debt. That's your plan. That when you get a raise, you get a nicer car, and you get a nicer house, and it absorbs all your raise. That's your plan. Whether you know it or not, right now, you have a plan. But God's called us to live a plan this way. First thing is, is that it's premeditated. In other words, that we make up our mind that we're going to be generous no matter what's going on in our world. We've already made up our mind. For Brian and I, the Bible calls us to give the first fruits of all of our income to the Lord. Not the last fruits, not the leftover, not if the message is good or if the need is great. No, the first fruits. So the very first thing out of our checkbook, every pay period, is our tithes and our offerings. That's the first thing that comes out. Why? Because we've already made up our mind that we are always going to be generous. Next thing is, is that it's calculated. 
It's calculated. You should know the percentage of income that you're going to give away this year for next year. For Brian and I, we have a challenge against each other is that we want to outgive ourselves from the year before. Last in 2015, we gave away 24% of our income. And that's a lot. That, that was a sacrifice for us. But we never went without. And God was faithful all along the way. And so this year, right now, we're in a race to outgive ourselves from last year. Why? Because we've got the set amount that we're going to give. It's premeditated. We've already made up our mind. For us, this is what it looks like, is there's three kinds of giving. There's tithes. That's 10% of your income. Now listen to this. Only 3 to 5% of the American church ever make it to this level of giving. That means this. 97% of Americans don't care if the local church is around tomorrow. Just going to let that sit there. The second level of giving is offerings. This is over and above our 10%. And the next level of giving is what I call, Jesus calls it sacrificial giving. I call it painful offerings. That's the ouch offering. When you're sitting in service and the Lord says, give your half of your savings account. I've been in that. And you're like, really, Jesus? Was that you? Are you sure, God? Let me just tell you, the devil will never tell you to give money away. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Jesus is the one who will tell you to give money away. So for us, we give a portion, our 10%, and offerings go to our local church, goes here. And then we always, it doesn't matter uh, what financial status we were at, we've always given to missions and given to the forgotten, to the orphans. That's our thing. Um, We give to missions outreach. We're partnered with Hand of Hope Ministries. And then we also have kids that we sponsor overseas. And then we give to St. Jude's. We give to several different uh, missions organizations that's over and above our tithe and our offering. Is this helpful for somebody? I'm not saying this to be braggadocious, but I want, I think sometimes because we're raised in a home that we didn't see what generosity looks like, we don't know what to even do. So I'm not saying this to make me great because like I said, we're not that great, but I'm saying it to say this is what we do and whatever you do you need to do what the Lord tells you to do the next thing that we need to do number three is that true generosity is purposeful is purposeful in other words just because it comes to me doesn't mean it's necessarily for me it could be for somebody else And a lot of times when we get a promotion or get extra increase, we're like, amen, I get a new pair of shoes, I get to put new carpet in my house, I get to do new flooring. Come on, somebody, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? But what if you got extra income because the Lord wanted to use you to help somebody else? But a lot of times we don't think about it that way. And uh, in Acts, it says this, in Acts 20, 35, that it's more blessed to give than receive. What they're talking about there is not just an act of generosity, but a lifestyle of purposeful giving. A lifestyle of purposefully giving every single day. That our whole lives are made, not for us, but how can I help others? How can I be used by God to make a difference in somebody else's life? And I'll just say this, that I found in my own life that when the Lord's getting ready to promote me, he ups my level of sacrifice. I can tell where I'm going by the level of giving the Lord's requiring me to do. 
So I'll just say, like, I'm in a season in my own life that every time somebody blesses me with money right now, the Lord won't let me keep it. I end up giving it away to somebody. Uh, Just last week, I I got blessed with some money, and it was the exact dollar amount I needed for a new, really cute pair of boots. I was like, amen, I'm getting the boots. I had planned the trip to Nordstrom, and I was getting ready on last Sunday morning. The Lord said, this person's going to come to church, and when you see them, I want you to give them all that money. Because why? Sometimes we're blessed not for us but we're blessed for others. Now, I want to close with this. Now, I want you to imagine tomorrow morning you wake up and you have an account, but it's a new account. Now, this account is full of all the money that you've wasted over the last 10 years. I heard several people laugh. Now, all the women's accounts would be a lot bigger, right? All of our clothes that still have tags on them, all the stuff in your garage that you thought you had to have, three easy payments of $9.95, free shipping. But wait, there's more, right? What if you had all that money from the last 10 years and it was in an account? Now, here's the thing. is you had here's, There's some rules to it. You have one year to get rid of it all and you can't spend it on yourself. So think about this. For one year all the money that you wasted on stuff that you really didn't need. And if we'll just be honest, it was in your pursuit to try to find happiness, your pursuit to try to find fulfillment because you thought that car would do it, that thing would do it, that toy would do it. You fill in the blank. And now you have all that money. And for one year, you had to spend it on other people. How fun would that year be? going about every single day looking for needs and you find out that a single mom couldn't pay her rent and it was $800 and you went ahead and did $900, did $100 for her to have a grocery card. What if you found out that there was a need at your church and you go, hey, I want to pay for that. Here you go and you write the check. You find out about a kid at a school that isn't going to have Christmas and so you pay for all of his Christmas gifts and buy their dinner for her Christmas dinner. How fun would it be to go around like a secret agent for God for one whole year doing random acts of generosity, being completely crazy with that amount of money and making other people happy. How many of you guys would agree that would be a lot of fun? How many of you are already thinking of people you could help, huh? Now let me just ask you a question. What if you lived like that? You can live that way. See, because when you put a plan in place and you say this much of my money is not mine, it's gonna be for others, Now you get to live your entire life, not consuming more, but giving more. And that, my friends, is where you find true happiness. And that is the beginning of true fulfillment. Will you stand on your feet with me? At The Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at thechurchrc.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at thechurchrc. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, you can email us at amen at thechurchrc.com.